I want to begin today by asking you to think through a couple of questions uh, to set up our time in God's Word together this morning. And uh, I would even encourage you to jot the answers down to these questions in the notes that are in the seat back in front of you. Um, Go ahead and take your pen, take those notes, and just jot down the answers to these questions and maybe some, some thoughts and things as we uh, open God's word today. Um, but, but here are the questions. There are three of them, okay? So question number one is this. Who is someone specific, give me a name, someone specific in your life, past or present, who has invested in you? Yes, I love you. That was awesome. Yes. Jesus. Sermon over. No, no, just kidding. That was so fantastic. Uh, someone who has invested in you, and, and preferably think about somebody that's maybe from an older generation. Investment can definitely happen with, with people who are maybe similar in age, but, but thinking about somebody maybe from an older generation than you, who is that person that has invested in you? Here's question number two. Uh, what did that person do to make you feel invested or how did they invest in you? What were some actions that they did that made you feel like, man, they really cared about me. They took the time, they loved me. And then uh, my third question to you today is, how would your life be different today if that person had not taken the time to invest in you. From 2 Timothy chapter three, you can go ahead and start turning there. I want us to spend our time together looking at the importance of investing in the next generation. And before we, we go on, I wanna make sure that I define what I mean by next generation. Because if you, if you get on Google and search for things for, in a ministry context, next generation almost exclusively will refer to students and, and kids. But today, I, I'm not just talking about students and kids, but I'm talking about, when I say next generation, I'm talking about somebody who is from a generation that, that, that came after you. And uh, this, ser this sermon, I, I want you to understand, is not focusing on kids and students or trying to solicit you to join those ministries and to serve in that capacity. But I just want you to think about what does it mean? What does it look like to invest in the next generation? Somebody from a generation that came after you. And before we get started, I wanna put a couple of disclaimers out there. First, I am not saying at all that people from the same generations cannot invest in one another. Can that happen? Absolutely it can. I have close friends of mine, one of them is even here today, who has invested in me and spent time with me. We are of a similar age, and so can that happen? Absolutely, but remember, we're talking about from older to younger generations. Also, I am not saying that someone from a younger generation cannot do for an older generation. That can definitely happen as well. But what I wanna focus on during our time together today is what does next generation investment look like? Or investment from an older generation to a younger, whatever the age may be. And before we get started, I wanna to pray together for God to open our minds and hearts to what he has for us today. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity to worship you, that free opportunity that not everybody has around the world. And Lord, as we unpack from your word what it looks like to invest in the next generation, I pray 
that the people in this room are not seeing this as a, as a solicitation to get involved in volunteering in some ministry. That's not what it's about. It's so much more than that. Would we also not check out because we think we're just talking about students and kids? Not true either. But all of us have an opportunity to invest in someone that is from the generation after us. And I pray that we think about who that person is, think about what that may look like, and think about what you may be calling us to do as far as next generation investment is concerned. Thank you for who you are. Allow me to get out of your way and, and to speak the words that you have given to me. May it not be what, about me whatsoever, but be about what you have to say to the people of Solid Rock Church. I pray this in your name, amen. So as I mentioned before, we're gonna start out in, in 2 Timothy. And if you are unfamiliar with the premise of this book, it is actually a letter written by Paul to a young pastor named Timothy. And at the time of this writing, Paul was actually in prison and nearing the end of his life. In fact, it is believed that between the time that Paul wrote 2 Timothy and the time of his execution was less than a year, which is pretty remarkable. And, you know, Timothy is, is first mentioned in scripture back in Acts chapter 16, when Paul began his second missionary journey in the year AD 49. So from the year AD 49 to AD 67, roughly about 18 years, Paul had served as a mentor, as a spiritual investor to Timothy. And not only that, but Paul recognized that Timothy had also been invested into as a, as a child. He had received an example of godliness from his mother and from his grandmother. In fact, listen to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Paul says to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Notice the older to younger generation. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. Now, a few chapters later, Paul is going to exhort Timothy and reference this godly upbringing. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14, Paul says to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy would be able to follow what Paul had commanded him on behalf of Jesus because of how Timothy had been brought up. That example had been modeled to him, not only by Paul, but by his family. And what had been modeled to him wasn't good advice or how to be a good person, but it was the Bible. Right after this passage is when Paul talks about what the purposes of the Bible are, purposes that we, should be living out for the next generation. And if you think about it, investment in another person really begins by setting the example, doesn't it? Since Paul is talking about the example of Timothy's family that had been set for him, I wanna give you an example from my own family. So many of you know that I have a 16 month old daughter named Emma. Well, lately she has taken a particular liking to hitting and biting when she doesn't get her way. It's pretty fantastic. Not really. It's not fantastic at all. And my wife, Lauren, and I, we are trying to navigate what it looks like to discipline her when, when she does these things, which is not easy. If you have kids, you probably know what I'm talking about, right? 
And now listen, don't judge me for what I'm about to say, but I'm, I'm telling you my discipline go-to method is to wanna take her arm and wherever she bit me, arm, leg, wherever, I wanna buy her back. <laughs> listen, judgment-free zone, okay? But I seriously want to, once, didn't do it, maybe once, but I, but I didn't do it. But if, if, is this really the best example that I am setting for my daughter? No, it's really not. Lauren always tells me her little brain is not gonna understand. Yeah, she understands something hurts. But really at the core of, of this situation, is this the best example that I'm setting for my daughter? No, it's not. But you know what? Those who provided a great example of next generation investment was Timothy's mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice, wasn't it? They had set Timothy up to be this young, past, this young pastor, this gospel taker to the ends of the earth. And this is why Paul really believed in what Timothy had to offer. He says that not only did Timothy learn the sacred writings, but he became convinced of them. Right, scripture was more than just a head knowledge, but it was a heart knowledge for Timothy. It was the scripture that led Timothy to faith in Jesus. And in the next two verses, verses 16 and 17, Paul is going to talk about the purposes of the Bible. Listen to what the scripture says. Second Timothy chapter three, starting in verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You know, in this context of next generation investment, especially from a spiritual perspective, Paul says that the God-breathed scripture, I love that term, by the way, is useful for four things that we're gonna unpack together real quick. First, it is profitable for teaching or in other words, to establish doctrine. You know, it's the Bible that teaches us what is true about God and mankind. It's the Bible that teaches us about the world that we live in now and the world to come. If we wanna spiritually invest in the next generation, the best way to do that is to teach them the Bible. Amen. To teach them what the Bible says about them and most importantly, to teach them what the Bible says about Jesus. It says that the Bible is profitable for reproof, or in other words, the Bible convicts us. Now, truth be told, this isn't always the welcomed part of spiritually investing in someone, but it's necessary. We have to be a people who are willing to have those hard conversations with the next generation. We have to be a people who are willing to receive those hard conversations with the next generation. The Bible also says that it is profitable for correction. You know, the Bible doesn't leave us in our sin conviction, but this word here means that the Bible goes a step further and it corrects us and it restores us into an upright state. Listen, please don't be the spiritual investor that tells someone how they're messing up and then leave it at that. Has that ever happened to you before? Oh yeah, you're screwing up at this, this, and this. Peace out. Like, that's not the way that you're supposed to do it. 
Furthermore, don't be the person that offers the next generation your own personal advice. Take them to scripture. Walk with them to seek out restoration through the power of the gospel. The last thing that this verse says the Bible is profitable for is training in righteousness. Or in other words, providing instruction for righteous living. That's what training in righteousness means here. And make sure that the person that you are investing in understands that training in righteousness doesn't mean being legalistic or or checking all of the boxes, but instead training in righteousness means seeking Christ's likeness in everything that we say and do in every part of our life. And when we do mess up, and we will, then we go right back to the Bible and the life of Jesus. You know, one commentator said this about the Bible, which I encourage you to make sure the person you are investing in understands. This commentator said, God's word meets our deepest needs. It transforms us from the inside out. People need God's word more than man's observations and practical suggestions. Sure, there may be times to offer practical suggestions and counsel or to read from a contemporary writer. However, we must distinguish between what is good stuff and what is God's stuff. Investing in the next generation through the use of God's word transcends age, education level, ethnic or socioeconomic status or whatever barrier may exist. You know, so far we've looked at an example of next generation investment and what's ne- what next generation investment looks like biblically, but you know, what happens whenever next generation investment stops? or when it doesn't exist at all. I want you to now take your Bible over to the Old Testament and turn to Judges chapter two. It's the seventh book of the Bible, right after the book of Joshua. And as you're turning there, I I wanna read verses six through eight to help establish some context for us. So Judges chapter two, starting in verse six. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. Remember, Joshua had been invested into by Moses, so much so that Moses passed on the leadership of God's people to him. But by Judges chapter two, Joshua had died. Thankfully, he had invested in the next generation. We know that because verse seven says that the Israelites served the Lord during the leadership of the elders who outlived Joshua. Unfortunately though, these elders right after Joshua's leadership had dropped the ball when it came to establishing godly investment in the next generation. How do we know that? Well, let's continue reading in verse 10. And all that generation who were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. 
They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Astaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. And the Lord had, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Church, we cannot afford to be like Joshua's predecessors who disregarded what it meant to spiritually invest in the next generation. We have to be a church who's willing to invest. Again, that doesn't mean adults to kids or only adults to students, though that's important and needed, I might add. But it means the 40, 50, and 60-year-old men and women are investing in the 20 and 30-year-old men and women. It means that the veteran parents in this room are investing in the new parents. It means that the retired or those established in their career are investing in the ones who are just starting out in their career. It means that those married for 30 plus years are investing in those who are newlyweds. And those are just a few examples. Make no mistake, like the Israelites we see here in Judges chapter two, we also have our own Baals and Astaroths who are vying for our attention and for our worship. And any idolatrous thing that we are making our Lord and our master is something that has to be removed. And God uses people who are investing in us to help remove those things. Did you know that? Often those preceding generations have battled through that sin. They've been there, they've done that, and they can come alongside the person who is struggling and help walk them through it. Investing in the next generation is paramount. It has to be a priority for all of us. If investing in the next generation is so important, and I think that it is, then what does next does the next generation need from the preceding generation? And so I've narrowed it down to three things that I, I wanna give you, and then I wanna offer some practical Monday morning examples of what that could look like. Go ahead and write these down if you'd like. The next generation needs the preceding generation to first model the love of God, his word, and his people. What does that look like? It looks like praying regularly with them. Serve in the church. Let them see you read your Bible. Memorize scripture together. Guide them in searching his word to find the answer to their struggle, not searching our culture. You know, the next generation needs to see that example being modeled and that habit being established by the preceding generation. Number two, the next generation needs the preceding generation to just be available. Listen, I know that we live in a busy time. I know. But we have to be willing to serve the next generation directly. Have them in your homes for a meal. Ask them how they are really doing. Go beyond the surface level, hey, how you doing? Give your time. Right before the fall, it was right there at the end of the summer, I had a friend of mine, his name is Jeremy Glover. 
you don't know him, he's the campus pastor at the Hills Church. And if you've been down I-30, you've seen that they are transitioning from one building further on down I-30 to this new one. Have you seen that? Well, right in the middle of this transition, Jeremy Glover, he's a campus pastor. He, he reached out to me, called me up and said, hey man, would you like to grab lunch? I just wanna see how you're doing. And I knew him from some work with, with White Settlement ISD. And so we sat down together at Happy Bowl. If you haven't been to Happy Bowl, it's legit. <laughs> and for over two hours, we just talked about ministry, how our families are doing. Told him I was struggling because my kid was biting me all the time. <laughs> and man, it was such a sweet time. He didn't have to do that. There's a million different things that he could have been doing that were probably a lot more important than me. But you know what he did? He chose to invest in the next generation. And it meant a lot to me. Be available. Thirdly, the next generation needs the preceding generation to emphasize the importance of embracing and sharing the gospel. Talk to the next generation about how the gospel has changed you. Let them know that despite the fact that you may be older and wiser, you still need the gospel every single day of your life. Amen. Stress to them that they need to share the gospel message with others. And if you think about it, this is what it looks like to make disciples. That's what Jesus commanded us to do in Matthew 28, right? And no, it doesn't only have to happen between older and younger generations, but it can. These are the things that Jesus did and specifically between younger and older generations, we should be doing the same. Listen to this quote from Greg Steer. He's the founder of Dare to Share Ministries. And while his ministry context specifically focuses on helping adults mobilize teenagers to be disciple makers, I think what he has to say here can apply to all of us. He says, nurturing his followers towards becoming multiplying disciples was at the core of everything that Jesus did. Behind each of his powerful miracles, simple parables, gentle touches, and scathing rebukes was a heart that beat and burned and broke for those who were lost. And his unparalleled passion to rescue the perishing was transferred in full force to his disciples when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. The book of Acts is proof of this. This is what it looks like to embrace and share the gospel. Are we making sure the next generation understands that? They need to. They're going to be our leaders someday. And in a lot of respects are our leaders of today. And so as, as we land here today, I, I'd like to ask you to think back to those three questions that I asked you at the beginning. You know, to refresh your memory, I asked, what is, who is someone who is specific in your life who has invested in you? Number two, how did they invest in you? And number three, how would your life be different if that person had not invested in you? It's my assumption that answering these three questions probably wasn't that difficult. Now, maybe for some of you it was, but by and large, for most of us, I would assume it wasn't that tough. Why? Why is that? I think it's because that person, who more than likely was from a different generation than you, made a lasting impression on your life because of their investment. 
Now, let me ask you this question. What if you were someone that God wants to use today to make that same kind of cross-generational investment? That eternal, lasting impression. I guarantee you there is someone in your context, your workplace, your community group, your friends, and your, your church whose life God could impact through your investment into the next generation. The question is, are you willing to do it? Let's pray. Father, even now, would you be convicting our hearts, putting someone on our, in our mind that we know, name popping into our head, maybe multiple names, that we couldn't be investing in who are part of the next generation, the generation after us. And would we be willing to do the things that we've talked about today? Would we be willing to make that time for them? Would we be willing to model that example of what it means to love you and to love your word and to love your people? Would we be willing to teach them what it means to embrace and to share the gospel message? It would be so easy to walk out of this room and to disregard what you have called us to do. But Lord, make no mistake, these people and myself, we have to understand, you've called us to go and make disciples. And we have a prime opportunity in doing that with the next generation. Those who are maybe not as wise, those who maybe you're struggling with things that we've already gone through. Would we seek out the person that you have laid upon our hearts? And if there isn't somebody in our minds now, would we be on the lookout for that person? Maybe in this church, maybe outside of the church, I don't know. But Lord, you have called us to invest in the next generation, to raise up leaders in the church for tomorrow. That'll be the same ones that be taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, would that be what our heart beats fast for? I pray this all in your name.